Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Shake somebody's hand. High five them. Tell them you look good this morning. Not as good as me, but you look good. You look good. Amen. So is it okay if I move this? I can slide this over. I'm a bit of a bull in a china shop most of the time, so I, I kind of have to ask. Well, man, we are so blessed and honored to be here. Uh, we know a lot of you. Uh, and I, I just want to say on behalf of myself and my family, you know, we've, we've been gone five years. Five years since we moved away from, from Cumberland, Maryland to, to start a work in Kentucky. And I, I just want to let you know, some of our favorite people on planet Earth go to this church. You know what I mean? Some of our favorite people. Some of them, not David, but a lot of you all, we, I'm just kidding, just joking, but uh, no, uh, we've been blessed, you know, I I got to see the, well, David Smith's a, a, just a blessing I know to so many, and we got to watch what God did in his life as an early teenager, when he wasn't all together, you know, when God was doing all this work, and it's amazing to see the, the husband, the father, the example, uh, but we love you all. We love you from the bottom of our hearts, man. We're, we are thankful for what God's continued to do in the church. We love what you've done with the place. It didn't look like this when we were here, not even close. Amen. Uh, pews and uh, just a different environment. Yeah, it was, it was different, different. But my wife and I currently live in, in uh, Ashton, Kentucky. Uh, Ashton, if you were to Google it, look it up, it's, it's got some of the biggest issues, the, a lot of the heroin addiction that started in this this country started right there. Uh, the pill mills, the stuff, the, you know, the Oxycontin. There's little books you can go on Amazon, and chapters of the book are named after counties and areas in, in our city uh, because it, that's how much it started right there in our back door. We've seen, you know, uh, God do a lot of amazing things over five years, families restored, people put back together, but the battle is always waging. The battle is always waging. But, uh, you know, we do a lot of stuff in church that's just considered good manners. And, and, and I'm going to do that, but I'm not doing it because it's good manners, because I'm not known to be super mannerly. Uh, I'm warning you now, I'm not politically correct. I preach the gospel. I don't preach Republican or Democrat, either one. Uh, so you need to know, I'm going to say some stuff that if you're easily offended, you might as well go ahead and, and go to Chick-fil-A right now. Um, I know, that's... So when you get there, you'll be less mad at me and mad at Chick-fil-A. That's why I always tell people to go to Chick-fil-A on Sundays. Um, but the gospel is offensive. The real gospel is offensive. Uh, there's a reason why we crucified a perfect man. It wasn't because of his lifestyle, because he was in all things perfect. It's because of his message. And the gospel offends the flesh. It's meant to. And so if you're following a gospel that makes you happy, you're probably following a man's gospel. Because the real gospel will make you go shut up and sit down. The real gospel will make you say you can't talk to people that way. Uh, but, you know, we do a lot of things out of a politeness. But I want to say something out of sincerity. I, I'm very thankful for, for Pastor Fred and, and Kristen. Amen. How many are thankful for your, for your pastors? <laughs> Truth be told, and I, uh, I probably wouldn't even have a church right now uh, if it wasn't for Fred stepping in and helping me at a very, very difficult time. And him and David, you know, talked and we kind of got together and a lot of lives have been impacted because they were willing to, to help in a very difficult season. Uh, 
you know, church planting is, is tough, but Fred and Kristen have always been consistent since I've known them. And uh, I just love their heart. I love their faithfulness to people. And uh, just, I, I just got to say, you know, right now the statistics in this country, about 1,500 pastors a, a, a month are resigning from the ministry never to return. 1,500. We're, we're planting about 7,000 churches a year in this country for the gospel, and about three to 4,000 are shutting down. That's a massive deficit. 2020 has made it even worse. So when you have a pastor and his wife that are being consistent, bringing the gospel, loving on you, listen, to, let me just tell you, the Bible says that pastors are a gift to the body of Christ. And I just want to encourage you, love on them. Surround them with prayer. Encourage them. If every interaction you have with your pastor is this, you're still immature as a believer. I'll say that again. If every interaction you have with your pastor is this, you need to grow up. Because only babies need handouts. Grown men make their own sandwiches. Amen? I've not went to church to be fed in like 20 years. I've been in ministry a long, long time. I haven't been, you know, I don't, I don't go to church. But God does feed me sometimes by default. You know, he blesses me sometimes or incorrects me. But the truth of the matter is I feed myself in my own devotion, my own Bible reading, my own prayer time. I don't go to church. Why? Because I'm not a baby anymore. I'm a grown man. Grown men make their own sandwiches. So I've never left a church and said, well, you're not feeding me. Well, you're not feeding you. That's the real problem. I told you, buckle up. I'm just saying. But I'm thankful for Pastor Fred and Christian. Guys, I love you. Thank you so much for your, who you guys are. I, I love you tremendously. I love so many other people here. Uh, but we're going to jump right in. to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. While you're turning there, uh, just to show you a little my, my background, uh, I was fortunate to have a mom and dad that raised me in the house of the Lord. Uh, since the, I was two weeks old. I'm 42 now. I know that's shocking. You thought I was in my 20s, but I'm not. Um, but I'm 42 years old now, and I am fortunate to see the progression in, in, in church. I've seen the progression in, in men's and women's lives. Some are good, some is not. Some of the things that I used to be mesmerized as a young person in the gospel no longer move me at all. We have a habit in the body of Christ of being mesmerized by gifting. I'm no longer mesmerized by gifting because a gift is a gift. And what I mean by that is if I give you a watch and then you walk around the neighborhood, everyone like, look at my watch and bragging like you earned it, which is what a lot of people do in the church world. It wasn't, when it wasn't something you earned. It was something you were gifted. What I'm much more impressed by now is faithfulness. Because faithfulness is proved over the test of time. And it has to be earned. Faithfulness has to be earned. Because you get it no other way. So many people say, I'm faithful, until they're called to be faithful. I'm faithful to my church until we need you to clean. Until we need you to work. And then all of a sudden, you're nowhere to be found. If that is you, you're not faithful. I hate to break it to you. And just listen, before you get you know, all up in your flesh, and I don't even know, you don't know me, uh, I don't know you, why are you talking bad? Just, just, just let's slow down a minute and just know this. This is how much we miss who we really are and why we need mentors and coaches and pastors and people in our life and why you need to embrace correction and not run from it. If you don't brush your teeth for a week, okay, your nose is, your nose is two inches from your mouth and will not tell you your breath is horrible. 
two inches from your mouth, and you'll walk around like, hi, you know what I mean? And people are like dying, you know what I mean? Like dying because of the offense. And you're like, what? I don't understand. Why does no one want to be my friend? Why is everybody? Two inches. And that's how oblivious you are to the problem in your life. And by the way, your nose is literally designed by God to pick up good and bad sense, and it still misses it. But every time somebody comes in your life and tries to bring correction, you run from it. The older I get, the more I have fallen in love with correction. Because I realize how oblivious I am to my own issues most of the time. Embrace it. I used to believe, too, that every yes was God and every no was devil. Like, if I didn't hear from God and he didn't do it, I'm like, Satan is holding this back. Now I've been a father for a while. Our oldest is 19, almost 20. And I've learned that my no's much more attached to my love than my yeses. No, you cannot stay out all night. No, you cannot hang out with this group of people. No, you, that, that girl is no good for you. No, you cannot. Why? Because I love them. And I realize that most of the time in my life when God is holding me back and resisting and saying no, it's not Satan at all, it's God. No is an answer. <laughs> Do you hear me out there? No is an answer. No is the answer. And sometimes you need to hear that because we need confine. We need boundaries. We need things in our life that, that holds us. Embrace those things. We are in a society that lives instantaneous blessing and instantaneous works and immediate gratification. But you must understand, we do not serve a microwave God. We serve a crockpot God. Not crackpot. Uh, <laughs> hey, I know where I'm at. I know where I'm at. I see, slow. He wants to marinate. Marinate. Why? Because we're better with time. And there's people now that they, you know, they get, they'll go from years of, of brokenness and drug addiction and shame and all and get set free. And the next thing you know, I'm a bishop. I'm an apostle. I'm called to preach the God. I'm like David. And then, well, well, just so you know, baby, David got anointed and wasn't appointed until 15 years later. Help me, somebody. Just saying. You want to talk gospel? I can talk gospel. David was anointed as a shepherd. It was 13 to 15 years later until he was appointed. He got a lot of shut-ups and sit-downs and no's and go, go deal with the sheep before he was ever making decisions. And we mistake sometimes the anointing for God for the appointment of God. And God's appointment sometimes takes time, especially because we need leaders now of character. We need leaders of character. We need leaders that are not led by the flesh, but are led by the Spirit. And I've learned that being sensitive to the Spirit takes time. Sensitivity. Sensitivity is able to hear His voice in a crowded room and recognize what God is saying to Him. So John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. So I'm going to give you a little history, a little, little background. Uh, for those who, who don't know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what is known as the Synoptic Gospels. Now that sounds really, really advanced, uh, but a, a Synoptic is basically just means a common view. It was a, they were very consistent. But the book of John stands separate from the other Gospels and that John talks and, and, and addresses certain things that the other Gospels don't spend a whole lot of time doing. Uh, he also talks very little about miracles. He talks nothing about the parables whatsoever. There's only seven miracles mentioned throughout the book of John. He doesn't mention any of the parables of Jesus. He spends a humongous amount of time, though, talking about an intimate relationship between God the Father and God the Son. He spends a lot talking about the intimacy, and he makes people acutely aware of what Satan's assignment is here on earth. So John 10.10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So here's what's interesting. There is a satanic narrative that has permeated the world and permeated the church that many times I've seen it shut believers down because of the argument. People say church is just a place of rules and regulations. And those who don't know God say God is just this big cosmic killjoy that just wants to send everyone to hell. Now, what's so interesting in that you need to know that is satanic. That is straight from the pits of hell. That is not found in the gospel. That is not the word of God. This one verse would help you to have a revelation this morning to understand this. That when God, if you go down to the foundations of the earth, when God started all of this, he started a world of perfection. He started an area with, of, 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 perf, of perfection. The animals were perfect. The humans were perfect. We bring Adam and Eve into the situation and into the picture. And we all, or at least most of us, know the story. Eve and Adam, Eve takes a bum rep on this story. I'm going to be honest. Everyone blames Eve. But the truth of the matter is, if you go back and read that passage, the Bible says that Eve takes a bite and then immediately turns to Adam. So it's just funny to me for all the people saying, you know, I'm the man of this house. Adam should have been the man in that moment. Help me, somebody. Like, smack that apple out of her hand, brother. You know what I mean? Like, help us out. But that's not what happened. The Bible says that Eve takes the bite and then immediately it turns to Adam. And at, she's heard me preach before. It's all right. So, and he turns right, right to Adam, and the Bible says, Adam takes a bite. So they have thrust humanity and mankind into everything that we know. All the sin, everything was released in the world. And before we get super judgmental about Adam and Eve, please understand, it could have very well been any other name, and I truly believe the outcome would have been the same. Why? Because I know human nature. I've seen too many fingerprints and wet paint signs. I've seen too many people damage their bodies and go back and say, I knew this was bad, but I did it anyway. Tell me somebody, we, we're, we're debating over Adam and Eve and all they did was mess with fruit. Some of us messed with stuff we know was poison and still put it in our body. We knew, we knew, we've been told. We, we had sat in health class. We've been told by doctors and nurses and everybody under the sun and told it and we still did it. So the character of man is very similar 
to this day. We're always trying to touch and do things we should not be doing. And so we looked that we broke it, and then God looked and said that he was brokenhearted, and so God fixed it. How did he fix it? He fixed it through the person and the nature of his son. So the Bible says that in the here in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. What happened with that? The Word was sent to man in the person of Jesus. So now Jesus is the personification of everything contained in Scripture. Compassion, mercy, self-control, loving kindness. Everything that we see, we see that personified in the life of Jesus. And we, we, we see that take place. And Jesus touches lives and impacts people and does all that he does. But then we know that he was crucified and buried, and then he was resurrected and then taken and ascended. So interestingly enough, that we see that the word became flesh, but we understand in that moment that the flesh then became word all over again. There's a reason why, out of all the things in the text that you could pick up to read, the Bible is one of the most difficult. There's a reason why you can have a perfectly good day, and the moment you try to read your Bible or pray, crazy things start happening. Come on, I know I'm like, look, am I talking to real people out there? I mean, like, you know, you're at work for eight hours dealing with difficult, and you just make it through smooth. You go down to read a passage, a verse, and all of a sudden you have the dumbest thoughts. You're like, I wonder if Clifford the Red Dog was based on a true story. <laughs> like, silly stuff, you know what I mean? Like, just crazy, just off-the-wall things just permeate your mind. Things you need. Why? Because the enemy is terrified that the word that is now, or the flesh that has now become word, will become alive in you, and you will be everything that God intended for you to become. And it's found through dedication and determination and understanding Scripture. Something that you hear all the time as, as a pastor is, is, is people feel things. I hate those conversations because you have them all the time. I've been in church 42 years, two since two weeks old, and I've had feelings too. But I've learned something about longevity. Long-term relationships are not established on feelings. They're established on principle. Because truth be told, my wife and I, March 25th of this year, we've been married 22 years. Amen? 22 years. And I can assure you that that relationship has not made it through the test of time based on feelings. Because the first year, both of us at one point in time threw our wedding bands at each other. And not like a loving, like, beanbag toss, like a, you know what I mean? Like, you're going to feel this, baby. You know what I mean? Like, because we were kids, we're 21 years old, and we got married because we were in love, and we had feelings, and then we acted on those feelings and made a covenant before God. But understand this, when our feelings were, I can't stand the sight of you. I can't stand the way you breathe. I can't stand the sound of your feet. Across. That was her, not me. I've never felt that way. But <laughs> that when I see this, and, and she felt that way, she said, my vow was not just to him. My vow was to a true and living God. And she knew the scripture that said it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. She held fast to that. Thank you, Jesus, that it wasn't her feelings that led her, but her and her integrity and character and word. It was her understanding of scripture. Because there's people who say, well, I feel this way, and I feel like this happened, and I feel like I should be this, and I feel like I should go this way, and I have a word. God, give me a word. People always approach me, Pastor, I got a word. What's your word? What is that? Is that my double chin? It's second or third. One of them's getting it. Wow, all right? Got to watch that. 
Go watch it. Should fast more. Um, but you have these people that always, you know, I have a word. I got something from the Lord. And then they say it. I'm like, God didn't give you that, honey. God didn't give it back. All right, don't. God, I got a, I got a song. God, give me a song. I want to sing it. Well, let me hear it. And then they sing it. I'm like, Mm-mm, God didn't give you that. Mm-mm. And here's why I say that. Because understand this. Written word always trumps spoken word. Always, hear what I'm telling you, the written word of God always trumps anything you think you hear God say to you. So if you're sitting in a church service and you see a beautiful lady and she sits in front of you and you say, God, or else and you're like, God told me that's supposed to be my wife and she's already married. I'm just saying, I'm going to let you marinate. I told you, it's a microwave message, it's crock pot. We're going we're gonna to stew on that one for a minute. I know he's got biceps and triceps and he looks so good and he sits down in front of you, but he's got a ring on that left hand that is not God's plan for you, honey. I know, I know the pitter-patter of your heart and the lust of your eyes and flesh tells you different. But it's amazing how many times the word from people always sounds like their own personal desires. And you will find most times when God spoke to his people, which was not a lot when he spoke, he was always telling them stuff they didn't want to hear. It got real quiet. Some of you are like, back flesh, back. <laughs> it's all stuff you don't want to hear. I want you to go this way. I want you to do that. Telling people to go, go up the mountain and sacrifice your child. I've never seen that in God's character. But they became obedient to it without knowing the final end of the story. Stuff they didn't want to do. And now we have a church world and a, and a culture of church that we believe the gospel is all about best life now. I mean, there's books, best life now, and the gospel has nothing to do with best life now. The gospel has everything to do with best life later. It has everything to do with your eternity. It has nothing to do, well, I shouldn't say nothing, but it has nothing to do with your happiness and your joy. It has nothing to do with, I just want it to make me happy, and, it, and I, I just feel happier over here. And if I was happy over here, I have found that years of misery, but staying faithful is what has produced the anointing in my life. Do you hear what I'm telling you? It is faithfulness and commitment. God called me to this church two months later. God called me over here. God didn't do that. God calls people to settle, dig roots, produce fruit, and you do not produce fruit by ripping up your roots every couple months. In fact, you'll kill trees by doing that. Hear what I'm telling you. The gospel will help you learn to say no. You want Jesus in your life? Get in the word. Why? Because the word came flesh, and now the flesh is back to work. I confront everything in my life, from my leadership to the way I parent, to the way I am as a husband, all of it. I go back to what is scripture, the authority of scripture saying in my life. If it doesn't line up here, then it doesn't line up here. I listen to what the word of God coming from right this. And it says, interestingly enough, that he said there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear witness through the light with all man might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. You understand that the whole reason you're able to be a child of God was because of God's goodwill in your life. He said it was the sacrifice of Jesus that he came that you would be a child of God. A child of God, a child of the king. Do you know how big that is? Do you ever just stop and relish in the fact 
that you might have been you might have been born in a family that didn't want you. You might have been born with a dad you never knew. You might have been born with a mom that did nothing but cuss you out. You might have been born in a, in a household with groups of people that never never valued you, never loved you, never cared. But God said, "I see all that, and because of the sacrifice of my son, I'm your fa- your past would have been one way, but I'm not rewriting your past. I'm rewriting your future, and your future is that even though they didn't see the value, I seen the value. I seen who you were meant to be. I seen who." I I called you out. It was my good pleasure. It was my good will. It was my, to understand this, we, we find so many times that people are, are sidetracked. I see people derailed in their faith all the time because they'll go from salvation. They're, oh, God, you saved me, and I'm free. And now they say, well, I'm called to the ministry. Now, and that, that's then when things get really scary because people go do a lot of weird things in their call to the ministry, in their call to the ministry because people will, will compromise character for the call to the ministry. They'll talk bad about people to get a position in their call to the ministry. They'll cheat on their spouse in their call to the ministry. They'll cheat on finances to get their call to the ministry. They will do all kinds of things in the pressure and all all the things that they're trying to do. But you must understand something. If you go to the gospel, never do you see when we stand before God at the end of time, does God ever look at someone and say, well done, my good and successful servant. He said, well done, my good and, say it with me, faithful. And faithfulness is not always attractive. Faithfulness is not people always applauding you. Faithfulness is not people always seeing what you're doing. Faithful is early mornings and late nights. Faithful is dealing with the grind of feeling like you're not enough. Faithful is getting up and saying, God, I'm suffering and I'm struggling, but I will not stop because I got a call on my life. I got faithfulness. I got to get to where you, you called me to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to travail. I'm going to go through hardships and trials and persecutions. It's amazing that if you really read this gospel, the disciples, all of them perished and bear, uh, but one, perished in very terrible ways. I mean, they were crucified upside down, cut in half, boiled in oil. And now we come and say, I want to be in a disciple. I want to be an apostle. Because the modern-day apostle is a guy with a big diamond ring and a $3,000 suit and someone who hadn't opened his Bible in five solid years. But he knows how to charisma you to give every last dollar you got. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You want to be an apostle? Read what the apostles that endured. They endured persecution, imprisonment. I mean, listen, Paul the apostle. Paul, the, the apostle to the apostles, was under so much, so much trial. I mean, this man was in prison for preaching the gospel, put on a ship, shipwrecked. Then when he was shipwrecked, he's hanging out with his captors, and they tell him to go collect wood. So Paul's like, I've already been, you know, I've already been abandoned from my friends. I've always been on this ship. Now I've now got to collect wood. And Paul's going to collecting wood, comes to the fire, and gets snake bit. Do you hear me? You've never had a bad day. His life is so difficult, the Bible tells us, that even his captors go, this man don't have anything good to happen in his life. You know it's bad when the people who are trying to capture you and have, have got you look and say, this brother needs a glass of tea or something. He needs some kind of... That's persecution. Now we call persecution. Someone talked bad about my church. Someone didn't like my outfit. Someone said my hair didn't look good. I'd hurt my feelings. I showed them. It's not persecution. Persecution is what we're seeing experienced in countries around the world right now for the same Bible that many of us won't even carry. There's a little Chinese lady who she was arrested at like 65 years old in China 
She was in, in prison only for carrying a Bible, only for preaching the gospel, never broke any crimes, never done anything bad. She, stay, she stands at her jail cell every morning. She'll press her face against the bars. She'll begin to recite Scripture. And they asked her, they said, how are you able to recite Scripture so fluently? She said, because I've memorized the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. She said, because they can take my Bible, and now their only option is to take my life. But they will not take the gospel from me. And every day, she will press her, her, her little withered face, and she will encourage every inmate in that area and just begin to quote Scripture. Doesn't preach, doesn't take a, a, some kind of spiritual high ground. She just gives them the Word over and over and over Again. So I want to break this down for you really quick because a lot of people don't even realize this. This, this. this book is actually not just a book. It's 66 books. So I'm going to tell you some stuff about this. It's just absolutely phenomenal that you need to understand about this book because here, here's what we forget. In our culture, if something is priceless or valuable, we hide it away. Right? you got a family heirloom. You usually don't wear it. If you do wear it, it's on special occasions. If you've got solid gold or things of great value, we, we lock it away, we hide it away. But the God of all the universe, see, and the reason we do that, we do that because what we have, a lot of us don't have things of high value, so we have something of high value, we want to keep it to ourselves and hide it. But that's not the God you serve. You serve the only God. And what I mean by the only God, I mean the only God that exists, the only God that's alive, the only God that's real. You serve a God that owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns the hills. He owns the universes and the galaxies. He holds every diamond, every gold. If you've got a gold watch on right now, thank Jesus because it's his. The gold is his. It's on lend to you, but it's his. So you spend all of this time, and God takes something of such great value that you can find it on any Walmart shelf. You can go to a dollar store and buy a Bible. Why? Because God wanted to make sure that everyone got one of the most valuable things to him, and that was the essence of his own begotten son. And because of that, because of the culture we've grown up in, we think valuable is rare. But God said, listen, valuable for me, I want to make sure that every person has access to this thing. And because for so many of us, we see that all the time, it is watered down the value of why we need to be in it. But this book right here is not a book. It's actually 66 books. It's contained in one volume that we know as the Bible. Now, here's what's interesting, probably many of you don't realize, that even chapters and verses were only added about three to 400 years ago. And we did that to help add to people's ability to memorize it, quote it, and to learn from it. Because it's very difficult to go, hey, uh, go to that hunk of pages about a quarter of the way through, read that, great stuff. You know, it's really, <laughs> really loses the effect. You know, it's hard to do that. So about three or 400 years ago, we put chapters and verses in it so people can go, hey, go to Psalm 2022 in here, and we could locate it with ease. People did that. We did that. But when we go through it, 66 books of the Bible that are a collective work, they're all contained in here. Now, here's what's interesting. It was written on three different continents. It's written on Asia, Europe, and Africa. It's where the Bible, most of the Bible was written. Most people have no idea about that. Here's something else that's interesting. It was written in three different languages, primarily Greek and Hebrew with a small amount of Aramaic, which is the language they believe that Jesus the Christ actually himself spoke. So we have these three different languages. And I'm going somewhere. Pay real close attention. It was written between 30 or 40 different authors. It was also written over the course of 12 to 13 
hundred years. Now, why is that fascinating? Because if I was to go down here and whisper something in my daughter's ear, just a short sentence, and then instead I want you to go to the gentleman behind you and whisper a short sentence, and then him going around and worship a short sentence, by the time it gets down to Phil, it's going to be totally changed. How many ever played that little game? That's, why, well, that's the reason why gossip is so tragic in the church, is because by the time it gets to you, it's way worse than what it ever really was. But now we have 66 books that were written not by, I see, when I grew up in the church, I thought like everybody in the Bible kind of knew each other. Like they were all in kind of like the Bible neighborhood. You know what I mean? They're like Mr. Rogers, like, hey, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're kind of, hey, David, hey, how's the sling? You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of how I had it, you know, fragment in my mind. I didn't realize that the Bible was, not, was written in many people who couldn't even communicate to each other. Hear me, three different languages, three different continents, over the course of 12 to 1300 years by 30 or 40 different authors. But from Genesis to Revelations, there's a continuity of text. That is what you hold in your hand. Think about the likelihood of someone writing something and writing about the beginning of time, but clear at Revelations that John is still referencing the Christ to come and all that he had done. And they didn't even know each other. They had no idea. I want to show you something else. Go with me really quick to Matthew. Matthew 27. I'm, I don't have much more to go. Fred had said I could go for three hours, but I'm not going to do it. Um, your pastor didn't say that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Matthew 27, verse 46. We're not going to read that yet. But here I want you to understand. It's interesting enough, but the book of Luke, if you go to the book of Luke, Luke was a physician, the doctor. And here's what a lot of people don't even realize or know. Luke never met Jesus. Be honest, how many never knew that? How many knew when you read the account of Luke? Luke never met Jesus. Never claimed to. In fact, if you study the history of Luke, he never claimed to. Luke had never met him. Why is that interesting? Because when you have the Gospels, because people many times will argue with you that because there's uh, some things in, in the Gospels that are not lining up 100%, that, 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 that uh, lack of continuity is a reason why the Bible's not real. But here's what you must understand. The things that we're seeing when you read the different Gospels is, is you're reading perspectives from multiple different people. But what makes Luke so interesting is the fact that Luke never met Jesus, meaning he was never an eyewitness to the things he wrote about. Why is that important? Because Luke, if you read Luke 1 and see what he says in there, 1 through, 1 through 14, here's what you'll hear him say. He literally goes and he takes a collective word from all of the people who were eyewitnesses to everything that Jesus did. Most of them were females, by the way, that he gets an account from and reads their story. Now, why is that important? Because when you go to the other Gospels and you hear similarities between Matthew and Mark and John, and they write the story from their perspective, you are hearing a man that was also a doctor, but he was also an historian. So he took an actual account of what they actually physically seen and then wrote it down and put it in the volume of his gospel. So he doesn't write from his own perspective. He writes from multiple other people that are relaying the same thing that the other gospels are saying from a different point of view and a different way of life. That's a really big deal when you're talking about understanding history and understanding the life of Christ. But something interesting really happened. Matthew 27, verse 46. This verse says this, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, have you forsaken me? How many have ever heard that, that verse before? 
Okay, a lot of you have heard that verse. Now, here's what's interesting, and a lot of people have, have, have not seen it or understood this. So when we talk about the authority of Scripture, when we talk about the longevity of Scripture, you must understand it's something about the life of Christ. If you see and go back and study the life of Christ, every time that Jesus was faced with, with, with uh, temptation, anytime he was faced with opposition, anytime he dealt with the enemy face-to-face, he never said, I'm Jesus, back away. Now, why is that a big deal? Because we got so much pride in the modern-day church of people that say, I'm anointed. You don't know who I am. I'm going to sing a song. And, and yet you have Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, 100% man, 100% God, all at the same time. And this is what he did. Every time the enemy came at him, he did something that is significant to the life of a believer now. He did not take it upon his own strength. He didn't say, I'm just going to endure. He, said, he didn't say, man, I need another cup of coffee. He said, it is written. Not, I got a word. Not, I've been hearing some things. You don't know who I am. Look at my t-shirt. None of that foolishness. He said, it is written. Why was he using it? He was using the word of God as a, as a, a wage of sword, of a weapon against the enemy. He wasn't using his own strength. He wasn't using his own mind. He wasn't using his own wisdom. That is the example that is set before us. And yet we find churches all across America that the majority of believers don't even know what the Bible says. Hear me, it's terrifying because Jesus, the example, he said, when you are confronted in faith with a real enemy that wants to destroy not just your temporary, but your eternity, you face them with the word. Well, how can you do that if you don't know the word? How can you do that if you don't know scripture? It's that level of a big deal. It's that level. It's that kind of. This is why all of a sudden you open and your eyes get tired and you get bored out of your mind and you, I, I'm having a hard time. You listen, you must fight to get the word of God in your life. Don't fight fair. Do you hear what I'm telling you? I know nothing about a fair fight. Nothing. I know about going home at the end of the day. You hear what I'm telling you? I'm 42. Things hurt. Like there was a season in my life I thought I was cool. The only thing cool me anymore is my ice pack. My sore back and knees, you know what I mean? Like, that's the only thing I got. I'm not going to try to fight you. You try to stand to me and say, bring it. I'm, I'm going to go to my car. I'm going to try to hit you, all right? So, like, not kill you, just wound you so you never mess with me ever again, all right? <laughs> I don't know this fair fight, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, let's do good. I'm not, I'm not into that. I got a life to lead, okay? I'm just trying to make it to be a grandparent. I want to win. Do you hear what I'm telling you? I want to win. I want to win. Jesus, I don't want to just sit here and try to back and forth with the enemy. No, no, no. It is written. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. This is the boundaries. This is what is allowed. And I'm telling you, the word of God says, this is what we use. But how can you do that if it's not hidden in your heart? The Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus was holding the scripture in his hand. He was holding scripture in his heart. You know, the modern-day church, it's sad that if Jesus came in the flesh, there's a lot about the modern-day church we'd have to teach him. I mean, just picture this. Picture some of the, 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 the stuff that goes on, the, the craziness, people rolling over pews and flopping on the ground and just all this stuff. And, and imagine me like Jesus looking, going, what is this? He said, it's the Holy Spirit. He goes, I don't think so. I know him. Just saying. He said, I've never seen him behave that way. In fact, one of his fruits is self-control, and then you all are acting crazy. Just let you marinate. 
musicians, you can come for Michelle. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. All I know is you want her singing and not me is all I know. So here's what's interesting. I'm going to do something really quick. If I was to single cup, not sing, speak a couple lyrics of a song, it's an interesting thing that happens in the human brain. The human brain doesn't like open loops, likes to close them down. So if I say something like, I would walk 5,000 miles. Ah, right, you started humming it. You can't even stop. Bunch of heathens. All right. What's the other lyric? See, you all know it. All know it. Hear it in the, in the store. You probably heard that song in forever, but you just, you hear it. It's automatic. So here's what's interesting about what Jesus just did. He said, This is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you do something, I want you to turn over really quick to Psalms 22. Remember what I said, just last three to four hundred years, we've had chapters and verses and subtitles and all that stuff to help people use the Bible as a reference point, right? Psalms 22 says to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. You ready for David's psalm? Are you ready for this? First verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? This is a song. The song is literally called, Eli, Eli, lama sabach. Now for years in just churches, we would just, in general, just say it and it'd be a very good moment be a great altar call moment. You know, we'd lead the whole service to that point, and we'd say, and Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and that was to say, my God, my God, and we'd cry and get saved and out. And to be doves. Here's what you have to understand. You must understand something about the, me the message and the assignment of Christ. The Christ that we take so vaguely and so... Uh, we just kind of take his suggestions and we're in and we're out and you know sometimes we're really on fire because our feelings this is the Christ who at the age of 30 spent his life in a carpenter's home left heaven perfection gold angels servants to become a baby you all know insulting that had to be the first time he messed in his diaper we don't even think about that. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords standing in a linen diaper and defecating on himself for the first time. You know what I'm saying? We don't even think about it. And then we watch Jesus. He's, in the, he's not in a king's palace. He's in a carpenter's home. You know, I've been around carpentry all my life. And I'll tell you something about carpentry. It's dirty. If you're really a good carpenter, you, every part of you is covered in sawdust. It's in your ears up your nose holes. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just everywhere. This is the area that Jesus spent his life. Why? Because Jesus learned processes. Because real carpenters, you don't just build something like that. Carpentry takes time. It's not quick work. So for me, this age, Jesus is watching processes. He's watching his dad measure. Watching his dad put things together. Watching his dad do all of these things. See, Jesus has got an assignment on his heart that he can't escape. Do we know, does he always know that? Well, yeah, because we see him as a boy leaving his parents and preaching in the temple. He knew who he was. Because he preaches to him, his, his, his parents are freaking out like all of us do when we've ever had your kid walk away in the market or 
And his parents go, oh my gosh, you know the pressure it's got to be to know you lost Jesus? You want to talk about you feeling like a bad mom. Imagine Mary in that moment. Like, Jesus, oh no! You know, it's like you just condemned the entire universe. Good job, Mary. Good job. We are not building another statue to you. All right, so anyway. They run in and, and, you know, they find him and then they like, Jesus, you shouldn't have been there. And here's what's so interesting about Jesus. For all of you who are, I'm called. You can't correct me. Jesus stands in front of his authority, his covering, which was his mom and dad. And his mom and dad say, Jesus, you shouldn't have been there. And he said, I was just preaching the temple. And then he does something interesting. He submits himself. He said, you're right. You're my mom and dad. And he followed in line. Why? Because Jesus understood processes. We understand now. Microwave. Bang, right now. You know who I am? I'm called. You ever heard me sing? You ever heard me preach? I've seen those guys in Bible college. They can emulate professors and pastors like you wouldn't believe. I mean, the inflection of their voice, the turn of their hand. They, I mean, they could do it all. Six months in the ministry, they backslid. Six months in the ministry, they cheat on their spouse. Eight months in, they, you see what I'm saying? Why? Process. They didn't understand struggle. So here's what's interesting in this moment is Jesus quotes this. And I just showed you, I quoted a single line of a secular song to me. Everyone's like, how many you feel it? Notice what Jesus does in this moment. At the last part of his life, he has spent his entire existence here in the last three years preaching the gospel, loving, healing the sick. Open, the Bible, they literally say, you know, we have these 66 books. They literally say the amount of miracles and things that Jesus did cannot even be contained in volumes or books. So this right here is like a little myocosm of what he actually did. So this is the greatness of this man. He's hanging on the cross, naked, beaten beyond recognition. Literally, they, they, they believe his, his entrails, his internal organs were hanging out of him, exposed to the sun. And each time he was breathing, scraping up and down that rugged cross. So here's what's interesting. When you read more, it says, yet you are holy. You're enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and they delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me and they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Why is that so interesting? If you continue to read this, you will read the account of Jesus being surrounded by dogs, which is what they called Romans, and being mocked and ridiculed all through this entire chapter. Why is that so interesting? Here's why this is interesting. This is not an historical account of what Jesus endured after the crucifixion. That would have been amazing to be able to read historically everything that he went through. David wrote this a thousand years before crucifixions were even invented. Crucifixions haven't even been invented. And David is writing a prophetic account of what the Messiah will do for all of mankind. He will be mocked. He will be belittled. He will be ridiculed. He will be tormented. He will go all through all of these things. A thousand years before Jesus laid in a manger. That is the Bible that you hold in your hand. That's why your feelings and the I got a word and you don't understand my calling scripture because the spirit of God laying upon authors and people all across geographic locations many who never even knew each other and
and yet their message stayed consistent. That is what you're holding in your hand. There's not another book like it. Don't in any other religion try to convince you. The Quran, the Hindu, nothing comes close than the written word of God. Listen. It is your pride that will tell you you are the prophet to all, to all the nations. Jesus said, I'm a worm. Think about the next time you get big for your britches. Think about the next time you want to tell Pastor Fred, I should be the pastor of this church. Think about that the next time you say, well, this church doesn't appreciate my anointing. I'm going to go to another church. Listen, there'll be 10 more just like you. Come to this one. I'm telling you, why? Because pride's cheap. Humility costs something. He said, pride's cheap. It's a commodity. All of us bite with it. The greatest sin of them all. It's, the, it's literally the mother of all the other sin that leaks out. You know why you run to addiction? It's not because addiction's such a vice. It's because pride's such a vice. And you'd rather take matters into your own hand than seek counsel. Is this helping anybody in the room? Is anybody getting this this morning? I mean, anyone get what I'm saying this morning? Anyone hear what I'm trying to tell you this morning? It's a big deal. It's the word of God. Since it said, all man free. Because humility, you might know the whole Bible from chapter to verse. You might be able to preach like T.D. Jakes and, and teach like Charles Stanley and sing like Darlene Jack, but you say, God, I'm nothing but a worm. You no longer say, God, send me to crowds. You say, God, thank you so much. You let me witness to that one homeless person. Because I'm worthless. God, if it wasn't for your saving knowledge and your saving grace and your saving mercy, I would be no one. And all the gifts you gave me don't make me greater than all my... God, they humble me. God, keep me. I may have a contrite heart. God, let me stay in your presence and start just being thankful for the ability to serve. Hear what I'm telling you. You won't run for the pulpit. You'll run for the outhouse, the bathrooms. You'll be mopping floors and saying, thank you, Jesus, that I'm in your house at all. God, thank you, Jesus. I even get to be here. God, thank you that you gave me Cumberland to reach. Thank you, God. I'm not called to Atlanta or Chicago. God, you called me here, and the mission field is great. You know what sets City Reach apart? It's always set City Reach apart is that this ministry was baptized and anointed at the beginning for purpose. It was anointed to set the captive free, to reach the one, to touch lives. And that comes from men and women who don't want to leave. They want to serve. Will you stand with me? I'd like to pray with you. Or if you don't want me praying for you, I don't want to pray for you. But I just wanted us to have a time of prayer. Can we do that? Some of us need to go back to our beginnings. Paul said to this to different churches. He said, he said what, is, what has happened to you? You have forgot your first love. You have forgot what makes you tick. You have forgot you've got in churches competing with you. I just blows my mind. Like there's not thousands of dying people all around us that we got to compete for them. Are you kidding me? The next time you look for a platform or stage, just look across the neighborhood and look at the person right over to you and love them, serve them. Do stuff that doesn't make sense. Mow their grass. You know what I'm saying? Like love, Jesus did stuff that just blows your mind. It wasn't human. It was subhuman. It was supernatural. Love the unlovable. Who hangs on a cross, beaten, bare, and his, some of his last words were like, Father, forgive them. 
I mean, while we carried church hurt for 15 years until you don't know what I've been through and I can't, it was so hard. And yet our example is this man beaten beyond recognition, his own mom stripped completely naked, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and recites a song of I'm a worm. God, forgive them while they're punishing me. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we walk around all high and mighty like I was anointed. They didn't Come on. That is the enemy. That is pride in our life. Remember what I said? Pride is cheap. Humility costs something. Man, 2020 humbled me as a leader. I spent more time crying, more time being softened, more time saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to lead through this. I don't know if I'm going to keep the doors open. You hear what I'm telling you? More times of dealing with just all this stuff. We made it on the other side. We just celebrated five years, and I, I was telling your pastor, I said, you know, sometimes with big celebrations. This year we were like limping across. Like, Jesus, we made it. <laughs> but we're still touching lives. We're still doing what God's called us to do. I want to open this altar up right now. I don't want to take any more time. If you just want to say, just, if anything else, just recommit yourself to what God's called you to. Reconnect with the Father. Repent for anything in your life. I'm not going to ask you any of that this morning. It's between you and God. I just want you to move right now.
Psalms, it says, it says, the Lord satisfies the hungry soul with his goodness. There's no desire, no hunger, no need, no anything that he won't fill. His goodness has no ends. No limits, no bounds. Father, Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Father, that although that word was written thousands of years ago, inspired by your Holy Spirit, by numerous people over thousands, 1300 years Lord it's still alive today it's as alive today as it was when you breathed it father it's not a book on a shelf it's not a bunch of words on a page it is from your mouth it's alive it's sharp it's quick it cuts it penetrates, Lord, between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And Father, right now, Lord, I just pray that the word that was delivered today, Lord, would, would, would cut away whatever doesn't need to be there. Lord, whether it's pride, cut it out. Whether it's what we think we have, Lord, I don't want anything that you don't want to give. Lord, I only want, only want what you have for us, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, for, for Pastor Andrew, for Michelle, for their ministry. Lord, we pray, we pray favor over their ministry, Father. I pray, I pray that, that you would continue to give them, Lord, continue to entrust lives to them. Lord, surround them with, with solid people that will help them carry the, the, the load and, and the weight of what they're doing. Lord, meet every need that their ministry has. Father, I pray your blessing on each person here today. In Jesus' name. Amen.